calling out the myths, misinformation, and BS in the wellness industry. This is the Big Mouth Pharmacist Podcast. Here's your host, holistic pharmacist, supplement expert, Big Mouth, Dr. Neil Smoller. Broadcasting from the most famous small town in America, it's the podcast that pulls back the curtain on the wellness and supplement industry. Today's episode is episode 91, Don't Fear the COVID Vaccine, Part 1. Yes, this is a twofer, and no, that's not just a silly way to say teeth. You get it? Anybody that has a baby will get that joke. But anyway, today is Part 1 of a special two-part episode. We're talking with epidemiologist and CDC alum Dr. Ray Yip specifically about the research and manufacturing process of the COVID vaccine. So the biggest question I've been fielding is, how can this vaccine be safe if it was rushed? We'll answer that and more in these two episodes. But to be honest with you, that's not how people are asking me. It's kind of coming in question form. People are just kind of shouting at me like, I'm not going to take that. <laughs> I'm not making the vaccine, everybody, just so everybody's on the on the same page here. A lot of people are saying, well, I'm high risk. I should get it first. I don't make the rules, guys. I can barely make a bowl of cereal without nearly drowning. So I'm going to try to answer that question or statement or angered sentiment as best as I can with this episode, and I think we did a really good job of it. Before we begin, I'll invite you to visit our blog at woodstockvitamins.com. You can sign up for my weekly newsletter for lots of great health and wellness information, even get access to the podcast a little bit ahead of time before other people, and then you get my rants about the supplement and wellness industry. Now, each week... I ask folks to share these episodes, and this week I really, 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 really mean it. Because this year has been an evolution for a lot of us. We're watching this crisis unfold, and then we're watching the science rise to answer these questions. We're watching information evolve, and our positions should evolve as we get better data. You've heard me talk, probably, and you should know that the proliferation of misinformation and people's resistance to the facts are really kind of bumming me out. Almost to the point where I just resign and say, I can't change people's minds. You know, when I hear stuff like, I don't want to get the vaccine, or whatever form that statement takes, I normally feel like answering back, then don't. It's your choice, right? Do what you want. You're an adult. You don't have to do it. I can't convince you. But I think that position has to evolve as well. You know, we're not going to reach everybody, but we can certainly try. And so my new COVID goal is to get vaccine acceptance as high as humanly possible. Not with empty promises made with my fingers crossed, but with real information that you can actually trust. And I need that to be your goal. So not only do I want you to share this episode, I need you to join me on this mission of increasing vaccine acceptance. I need you to feel like it's your duty to ensure that your fellow citizens, your world, get this good information and not the nonsense conspiracy theories that are just going to rain down upon us. So share this episode and all of our content about this far and wide. We've got this episode. We've got video clips. We've got articles. We've got social media posts. So connect with us and share it, share it, share it. If I've missed something or something's unclear, I want you to reach out to me, podcast at woodstockvitamins.com. Let me answer your question, clarify it, and then you keep sharing all of that good information. So that's enough of that. It's time to chat with my friend, Dr. Ray Yip. I'm here with Dr. Ray Yip. Dr. Ray Yip is a global health specialist with program development and management experience in nutrition, maternal and child health immunization, emergency response, infectious disease control, and HIV AIDS with 25 years of overseas experience, including 20 years in China. And currently, Dr. Yip serves as a special advisor to the Gates Venture on China Partnership Development, and additionally, he provides strategic advice for organizations on business or partnership development in China and supports Chinese health and technology enterprises 
and people who want to invest in Africa to improve access to medical service. So basically, you've done a lot for the world. You've worked for the CDC. You've been all over the place. You've done very important work, of course. And it looks like, you know, your specialty is connecting the underprivileged with like nutrition and medicine. So is that is that a good summary of uh, what your experience yep. is? Yep. You, you did very well, Neil. Thanks. I, Thanks. The public school reading is doing good for me, you know? <laughs> so can we speak to one huge misconception before we dive into the COVID vaccine thing? Um, sure. So you worked for the CDC, right? And mm-hmm. so you know that trust has been eroded in institutions. And that's correct. A lot of people feel like the CDC is just filled with corrupt people. Can you give us a feel exactly how many people are corrupt and what their names are and where they live? <laughs> <laughs> well, that you know what? That was the, probably the most unfortunate thing happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't think, say, it's fair to call it corrupt. I think it has to do with the Washington administration, the presidency, mm-hmm. yeah, which actually um, does not take the CDC's role seriously and sideline them early in the pandemic. And uh, basically, it's like shooting ourselves on our own foot. Absolutely. And uh, CDC has the professional uh, credibility as well as experience to respond to this kind of public health emergency properly. But they are basically sidelined or, or asked to be stand down. Yeah. And uh, which is a very, very unfortunate because we're paying dearly for the, yeah. the, the, the high number of deaths and hospitalization. And to some extent, is a tribute to that. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think that besides, so there's the political stuff that's at the top, but really the organization is filled with folks like yourself. Am I incorrect in saying that? It's true. It's a professional organization. People there are scientists, medical specialists, epidemiologists, laboratory specialists, uh, uh, public health management specialists. They are all professionals. I mean, they're, they're, except for the, t- the head of CDC is a political appointee. Right. Everyone else, all the rank and files, they have to have, you know, a critical mass of experience and expertise to be working there. And and not only is for the United States, it's probably, I, I, I venture to, it's fair to say, it's probably the globally, one of the most capable public health agency. And, uh, you know, all my years working there, we help quite a bit for WHO to help the World Health Organization to complete their mission because we actually have more expertise and more capability and more funding than the WHO has. Yeah. And I think it's it's tough for people to hear because they just see the political stuff. They just see the stuff on the news and they don't understand that it's it's not everyday people. They're going to their jobs. They've, they've worked their whole lives to get to that point of expertise. They're not going to, you know, they don't have an, you didn't have an agenda besides helping people, doing your job, you know? I think it's important that people hear that directly from you. So thanks for sharing that. Um, so we're here to have you talk about the COVID vaccine. Um, I guess before we start, what's the weather like for you? What is, what does it feel like? Are you excited? Are you worried? Are you, you know, like, how do you feel about the vaccine and where we stand with it? Well, 
I mean, I think everybody knows um, probably within in a week or a little over a week, we will have the first uh, COVID vaccine uh, approved by FDA and uh, to be administered uh, to the people on the high priority list, which basically it's a really uh, astonishing feat. And uh, of course, I've been because I've been working in this uh, vaccine, you know, development and uh, quality improvement area for the last ten plus years. So I've been following this very closely. So from all the information, data, evidence that I was seeing this summer, June and July, I was quite optimistic that there's a reasonable chance. At that time, I give a read saying, by end of this year, we have 80% chance we will have a vaccine. It's at least 80% effective. So to my pleasant surprise, looks like we will have a vaccine before end of the year, which is 90% plus effective. So I'm very happy for that. And um, even though in the beginning, we're not going to have enough dosage for everybody who wants it, but I would think for the next six months, we should be able to able to supply to majority of the American who wish to be vaccinated. Yeah. It's it's phenomenal. I mean, I, I have no idea about any of this stuff, but it just the ability to get this done to have such a high success rate. And so then it's a double-edged sword, right? Because then everybody's watching and this has never happened before. And we've got a lot of variables at play politically. And a lot of people go, uh-uh, this, this doesn't feel right to me. And so that's why I wanted to talk to you because... We got it. We got to help people, you know, like we have to let people know that this is going to be okay. And so that's the, the agenda here is we're going to talk right. realistically about vaccines, how they're made and like why this one's different. So that way, you know, people can make better decisions because I don't want it to be based on fear. Uh, one of my things that I always say when people come to me and say, should I get a flu shot? And I said, there's only, you know, maybe three good reasons, right? One, you're allergic. Don't get a shot, Right. Two, you're deathly afraid of needles. And, you know, you, 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 I don't want you passing out in my pharmacy. But the third thing is you're an adult and you don't really have to do anything you don't want to do, of course, right? But any of the other reasons, any of the things that are based on fear or misinformation, none of that is legitimate and none of that should stand in your way. So really, it should come down to one of those three things. And really, only one of them is something that we should be okay with, you know, the allergies. So... So let's talk about that. Like, so there are people that are just vaccine apprehensive, I guess. So tell me what your read is on that. Well, there, there's two reasons. I mean, two type of um, folks who are apprehensive about vaccine. One is the, the people I call a, the anti-vaccine folks. We this has been a growing sub population in the United States in, in uh, and in Europe. In the last thirty years, more and more parents are more reluctant to have their children vaccinated. They believe that the risk of the vaccination does not justify the benefit. So that is one group of folks who basically think vaccine has potential to be dangerous. Now, and that 
is the I will call that the more hardcore type of folks. We're not going to be able to convince them saying you don't you know over the last you know half a century vaccine have saved millions of lives. It probably from as a public health good, it has one of proven to be most effective thing. If you if you are app- apprehensive, fearful, or think this is could be dangerous to your child, there's no way I'm going to convince you. Of, you know about the the good of that. the The second type is very specific to this COVID nineteen epidemic pandemic we're facing, because we are right now in the deep, deep. I mean, United States right now is in it's in the incredibly horrible situation. I mean, as of today, we have two hundred seventy thousand people died. We have more than twelve million people infected. I mean, our life has changed. I mean, we we cannot do, we cannot get together with the family for Thanksgiving, for Christmas. I mean, many people lost their job. The impact on economy, on life, it's it's huge. It's it's once in a hundred years stuff. So now suddenly people say we're going to try to resolve or help to alleviate this problem with this vaccine. So when this happens, people will say, "Wow, you know." Magic bullet, silver bullet, and then, as you know, we see in the in the press and the media, people say, "Well, in the past, the quickest, the shortest time a vaccine ever gets developed was four years. The the mump vaccine. Most other vaccines are developed over ten years. Today, in early December, this is less than one year. This COVID nineteen was discovered as an outbreak in China in Wuhan." And meanwhile, we might have an FDA-approved vaccine a week from today. So people say, "Well, what gives? You know, how can something that normally takes four to ten years, and now we're doing it in one year? We must be rushing it. We must yeah. be doing." Also, the most unfortunate thing, President Trump has been, you know, pushing, saying, "By." Before election, we'll have a vaccine. So everybody suspects there's going to be major corners cut. He's going to order FDA to approve something that's not ready to be approved, because technically, you know, as head of the state, as you know, commander in chief, he should he can order people in the government to do things. So there's a lot of you know skepticism and uh, and and meanwhile the media. So this is why I don't blame a lot of people feel uncomfortable, apprehensive, uh, have reservation about this new you know, special vaccine that's becoming available. And um, I'd be happy to address, you know, how, at least from my perspective, how good and how safe this vaccine is. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good summary of the the kind of situation, you know, back to the, the dichotomy there. We have a number of reasonable folks that are apprehensive just because of the, the time, you know, the warp speed mm-hmm. thought mm-hmm. process. And then we have the anti-vax, <laughs> the anti-vax folks. And, you know, that kind of goes to the the current situation. We talk about this a bunch on the podcast, but it's it's the idea that these people are, are not making rational decisions. These are emotional decisions. These aren't tied to logic and facts and figures. These are tied to feelings. And you can't win an emotional argument with facts and figures, as you said. And so it's going to be difficult to get those folks on board. And that's not really who this is for. This is for everybody else. This is for those folks that want to 
um, you know, just understand what really what's going on. So as you said, safety is the major concern, right? Correct, um, correct. I've heard a number of different claims. So the first thing that, and I'm just, we're going to go through a bunch of different things. We're going to talk about actually when vaccines have been harmful to people, just to kind of talk about that a little bit too. But, you know, I guess first question is if I get a vaccine, will the microchip hurt or is it something I won't even notice? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh yeah. The, <laughs> Sorry. That microchip's not going to go through your needle, so it's going to be stuck in your syringe. <laughs> oh, I gotta get. I, if I use so, a filter, so you don't syringe. have to worry about the microchip because the microchip. We're not able to make microchips so small right now that you can you you can administer through your regular. The little tiny needle that you you use for flu shot, which will be the same one you'll be using for the COVID vaccine. That's right. All right, good. I just wanted so to make sure. To, so we don't have to worry about the microchip for now. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. Totally stole that joke from a buddy of mine from high school. So uh, thank you, Mark, for that. I appreciate it. But anyway, so safety is the big concern. And, you know, the, a lot of this, people feel like cut corners have been cut. So how do we get from a normal 10-year process down to a one-year process? Do you want to just summarize some of the stuff that changed? Yep. I think that's probably the most important uh, questions to answer. Mm -hmm. It because when something that on the average takes five to ten years, how do we manage to do it safely and properly, say, in seven to eight months? Mm -hmm. um, there's there's so I'm I'm going to answer this in several parts. Number one is we happen to got very lucky with this particular coronavirus, which means this turned out to be a virus. It was not difficult to develop a vaccine against the virus. Right. Which cannot, it, there's many, we, we, are, we have dozens and dozens of vaccines out there. Some are easier to develop, some are harder to develop. I give you the most extreme example. We've been working on HIV vaccine for the last 30 years. We're not even coming close to it because that virus is changing all the time. It's it's a real moving target. We just cannot find the part of the, the virus. We can say we can develop a, some kind of a target against that. So there will be something we tried 30 years. We couldn't get the shoot on the moving target. It just so happened the coronavirus it's a very stable virus. It does mutate, it does change. But from the beginning, everybody saw, it, we saw all those pictures on TV screens, on newspaper, of those spikes, yeah. those funny looking spikes. Well, from the beginning, everybody who was doing the vaccine development, doesn't matter which technology, which methodology you use, everybody was going after that spike, the spike protein. Well, we got lucky. Turn out that spike protein is very stable. And if you can properly develop the, the vaccine or the antibody against that spike protein, you can disable this particular virus. So the, the news, good news number one is this turned out to be a relatively a one of the easiest vaccines to develop because it has a very sp stable target on its structure that we can aim for. There's about dozens and dozens of companies using different methodology to develop a vaccine, but 
they, they all aim at developing something against the spike protein. So we got lucky on that one. So that's good. Yeah. The, the second thing I want to emphasize, the vaccine development is a very laborious and tedious business. It's a long road. So, and in the past, there's very few times we are in a hurry. We are under some kind of health, public health, international emergency that we need to develop a vaccine very quickly. So all the vaccine we do, we just take the pharmaceutical company, the vaccine produ production company, they just take the three time. They, so they start off on early phase, develop a concept, deciding which part of vaccine, you know, and the, 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 the bacteria or the, the virus we want to attack. And they develop the construct and they develop the laboratory kind of uh, prototype. And then they do the, we call the preclinical trial, including the animal stuff. And then they gradually move into the so-called the clinical trial, which has three phases, one, two, and three. I will explain it a little bit. But when, when they do that, they do each part in sequence. Each part of the sequence sometimes takes several months, sometimes takes a couple of years to do, particularly the last phase, the phase three, the clinical trial testing the, the efficacy or the effectiveness of the vaccine depends on how common the condition is. It can be anywhere from a few months in the case of the COVID-19, a couple months may do, but some vaccine like the HPV vaccine, human papilloma virus, you know, for cervical cancer, that one took like 10 years to accumulate enough cases to yeah. do the phase three. So, 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 the, so historically, traditionally, we do things in sequence. Right. So you finish one phase, you look at the data, you say, wow, this looks good enough. Let's move on to the next phase. So each phase goes from several months to a year or two. So you kind of string out to be several years. Guess what? This time, it's an emergency. Right. We need this yesterday. We need this to save lives. We need this to reopen the economy. So what we are doing right now is we're doing this in parallel. Let me explain what we mean by in parallel. We're not, in the sense we do in parallel, we're not cutting corners. We're doing everything we're supposed to do, but we're doing the laboratory work, the animal work, and the early part of the clinical work. As soon as there's some evidence available, say it looks good, we move on to the next phase. But usually there's one of the, the biggest delay in vaccine development. There's the, the big part is the research and development part. I call it R&D part. Right. That's about, say, under the best scenario, three, four years. We are shortened this. But the moment, let's say you, you finish your three, four years development, including finishing your clinical trial, saying, wow, this is 80%, 90%, protection against the particular pathogen. When you get that, you send to the FDA for approval. Once FDA approved that, 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 of course, FDA will take the sweet time. Yeah. So that will take six months to a year to review your 5,000-page uh, file, the dossier. Then you, once you got your walking paper, FDA said, yes, it's a go. Guess what you start doing? 
you start building the manufacturing facility for that particular vaccine because you don't want to build those things. Those are very expensive. Those are tedious. Those are high requirements by the FDA. Those are multi-multi-million-dollar, billion-dollar investments. So you don't build those things until you have your walking paper. Well, guess what we did this time? We are building the facility. We are making the vaccine before the FDA approved this COVID-19 vaccine, courtesy of American taxpayers. <laughs> this is – this no, everybody thinks this warp speed. Of course, I'm not going to comment on that name. <laughs> the the worst speed so far has invested $12 billion of American tax dollars money. It's not administration's money. Yeah. It's your money and my money. Yeah. Keep that in mind. Right. But what do we do? We tell the, all the big vaccine companies saying we are committed to develop the COVID vaccine. The worst speed says start, ramp up your production facility. Start preparing for the production. Start making the vaccine before you get your walking paper from FDA. Right. That's why they take the hundreds and millions and billion dollars doing it right now. Yeah. That is why 10 days from now, a week from now, when we get our, when the Pfizer vaccine gets approved, they will immediately will have like 10, 20 million dosage for distribution is because they've been making them in the last two, three months. Right. And put them in storage. Right. This never happened before. Ever. Right. And never. And it's pretty amazing that they were confident enough in their results early on to spend that money. I know it is our taxpayer money and they no, would no. normally burn it. No, no, no. They weren't confident. They, they, they're not. There's no. They don't need to be confident <laughs> because they got to check. <laughs> because the, we, the taxpayer, is undertaking the financial risk. Got it. If their vaccine turned out to be no good, oh boy, nada. Okay, <laughs> all the money they invest in building up the, the manufacturing facility, the packaging facility, all the vaccine that they're making will go to garbage dump. <laughs> we pay for it. You pay for it. I pay for it. Would it, it would go I where said the, doesn't pay for it. It would go where the sorting machines for the post office went, right? Right into the dumpster. It, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> this, 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 but this is this this is this this is actually the absolutely the smartest thing we ever invest using our money throughout this whole pandemic. Mm -hmm. Our ministry trust me, I don't say this one lightly. It pains yeah. me to say it. Yeah. We have done everything wrong I know. in response to this pandemic from the day one. From, from, you know, from February the 6th, we tell Chinese citizens cannot fly into the United States. But then we didn't do daily squat trying to track all the people, non-Chinese, flew into the United States. We didn't, right. we, we didn't ex, you know, ramp up the taxing capacity. We didn't ramp up the contact tracing capacity. We didn't ramp up our PPE capacity any though we did everything totally you know wrong wrong Fakakta. i mean yeah. it, it pains me because i i am a specialist in disease control in outbreak control that is my job i know what to do i was trained to do that I was when i was the cdc those are the work we we were sent to other countries to help other countries to do so we did all those wrong but the only thing we did right is to come up with a program to underwrite the financial risk for the vaccine 
development and vaccine production so we can jumpstart the process. With the understanding, any of the vaccine that we, the government, underwrite through the project war speed, if it didn't work, we absorbed that cost. Yeah. But you know what? The good news is that we right now, through the project uh, uh, project speed, we invest in six vaccines. Right. I'm almost sure all of them is going to be good. Right. Yeah. I mean, so what I'm hearing from you, um, before we get into kind of the nuts and bolts there, but like what I'm hearing from you is that we got lucky twice. We got lucky that the spike proteins were so stable and it was easy, you know, and then we got lucky that this is working out because if not, we would be at square one. We, we wouldn't be where we are, oh, you know? If we don't have a vaccine, I mean, vaccine right now is a saver. It's the light at the end of the tunnel, even though we're going to have a tough winter next yeah. few months. Mm-hmm. But if right now, if the Pfizer vaccine has failed, yeah. if the Moderna vaccine has failed, if the AstraZeneca vaccine is proven to be iffy, we have to... The United States, the way, I mean, un, un, unless the next administration came out with a stronger, more effective leadership, more coordination and management and, and support the state to do it. The, the reason why we fail right now so miserably is because the, the federal leadership totally was not there. We tell every state, say, you're on your own, do whatever you want. Right. Well, majority of the state don't have that capacity, don't have that know-how. That is why we're North Dakota, South Dakota, you know, is in such a miserable shape. Yeah. You know, there are a couple of states, the state health department is strong enough, is capable enough, can do a lot. California, New York are, you know, the examples. Mm-hmm. But but of the 50 states in the union, there's probably half a dozen has that capacity. This is why national federal leadership and the coordination, it's not just the money. It's not just how, how much Congress can pass the money saying we can give to stay for your COVID response. But you need, you have to know how to do it. If you don't know how to do it, the money doesn't do much. Right. So anyhow. No, I mean, I mean that it's important for people to hear because one of the thoughts that I were ha- I was having is like, what if we weren't lucky? How bad would this get? And I do know that there's new leadership coming, but in America, we don't have that luxury of everybody falling in line, you know, whether it's healthcare practitioners giving good advice to people, um, to, um, folks wanting to wear their masks to governors want to follow directions from the federal government. So I, I believe that if we weren't getting lucky with this vaccine and it's almost a shame a little bit that we were able to kind of half-ass it so much and, you know, we're still going to be able to get out of this because it almost feels like there should be some sort of, you know, like, uh, you know, there's got to be a reconciliation when this is all done. But all right. So that's besides the point. So we're talking about the safety. So they were able to do this because they ran this thing parallel. So they were able to cut out all the bureaucratic nonsense. They were about to throw every dollar in the globe at this problem. We got super lucky twice. And the fact that the vaccine was, uh, the virus was something that was stable, that we can uh, get good attention. And then we, we bet on the right horses and all of them seem to be coming in. Right. So, so that's great. So we were able to kind of get rid of a lot of this stuff. I want to talk more about the specifics about like phase two and phase three in particular. So let's, let's just go over what phase one, phase two and phase three does. So people can kind of get a little bit more familiar with that. Okay. So 
the, for a typical vaccine development, you have a preclinical phase. Yep. Which which means it's before you 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 take your proposed uh, vaccine um, construct to be testing human. And the preclinical is quite important. The and we also this time the preclinical was relatively short because for two reasons. We noticed there was an outbreak in China literally on January the 1st or December 31st a year ago. Around January the 10th, one institution in China published the entire DNA, the genomic sequence of the the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Because in the last 20 years, there's so much um, improvement, technology, medical science, biotechnology, we can use the DNA information to help to design the, the, the vaccine. So, so they can tell based on the sequence which part of the, the, the DNA is coding for the, the target, which the, the spike protein. So, so, all, so And they made the decision early, we're going to aim for the spike protein. So all that basically for most, the, the, the several dozen com- uh, companies across the world, they basically was able to get the information they need to design their vaccine. So that, again, it's unprecedented. Before, when we do a vaccine development, we, we don't, in fact, I remember this one other company, the one actually is the one in Germany, is Cobal Antac. They are the one actually developed the vaccine, the Pfizer become their sort of manufacturing and marketing partner. Right. They literally designed their, their vaccine in 24 hours. A two, uh, the, the two scientists are from Turkey. Right. I mean, to me, they, they, they are just the hero. You know, right. they, they actually can look at the DNA, do whatever. So, so those are what I call the design phase, the preclinical. Once you design that, then you have to decide which platform you're going to use. Of all the vaccine right now is under development to be distributed in the world, there are four different platforms. And the, 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 the one, the, the most basic one is just take the enti- just in, in, in laboratory, grow the entire coronavirus, and then kill the virus or inactivate it. So you, so you just inject the inactivated virus. Right. That's the one Russia and China I- is doing. They are the ones already using that. There's none of the the six in the U.S. The program is that construct. And the the second one is that since we want to go after the the spike protein, so what we do is we grow a lot of virus in the laboratory. We just har- we just harvest the spike protein, or we we will make the spike protein called a protein subunit. Then later on we will inject. The, the spike protein, then you would generate immunity against that. Right. So that's the the second level. The third one is the one that the 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 the, the Oxford University and AstraZeneca one, plus the several other companies, what they do is they took the DNA to make the spike protein, they insert it into a so so that we call it inoculus or non-harmful virus, adenovirus, which is like a common cold virus. Mm-hmm. 
it put in a in a so so they use a virus as a vector to bring that part of DNA into your body. Interesting. Then then you will generate, you will make the spike protein yourself, and the most sexy one, the most advanced one, which is a concept, a platform never tried before, mm-hmm. is the messenger RNA uh, platform. They literally just make the genetic code for the instruction how to make the COVID uh, spike protein, and they inject that into you. That's the one Pfizer and uh, you know BioNTech as well as Moderna. Mm-hmm. That's the one. This is is again another breakthrough in advancing technology. Yeah, and so each one has its pros and cons. Right. If we have time, we can go through that. But but let me go through the clinical part. Yeah. The clinical part, the phase one, you just try it with a small number of people to make sure they get an immune response. So so then we know the vaccine maybe may work. Also, nobody dropped death. Sort of like very limited trial. Right. Now, 10, 15 people, those people have to be sitting in the hospital. Right. So that Literally. way they can monitor them just in case yeah, there is any yeah, problems. Yeah. And exactly. we're looking for the big stuff. Like, does it show any sign? And then does yeah, it make yeah. anybody like their head pop off? Right. That kind of. Yeah. Thing. Or they grow the horn or, or the skin <laughs> turn green or yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. Right. So, it, and, but the phase one is one is one thing important is that in the phase one, the 20, 30 people, they also want to look at your immune response to say, do you develop antibody against the virus? Right. Do you develop cellular immunity against that? So it's that's sort of the first part of the human phase. Is it's more like we call a proof of concept. Right. Saying yes, it generates. Then they move to a bigger phase, the second phase. The second phase for practical purpose, usually it's about like in the case of COVID, in this case, most of the company use about fifty to one hundred fifty people. Small. Small, still mm-hmm. small, mm-hmm. some up to two, three hundred. Yeah, but basically, <clears throat> they are looking at any adverse outcomes, right? Any any bad side effect. It's sort of the the limited safety trial, right? And if the second phase shows nobody gets terribly sick, mm-hmm. then we say, "Gee, that's safe enough," and uh, we can move forward to the final phase. The final phase. The phase three is a combination, a bigger safety trial, but the more importantly, we call an efficacy trial, which is to show does the vaccine works, does the vaccine actually protects you against the COVID-19 virus. But to do that, you have to do what we call a control group, a placebo group. Mm-hmm. So of the for example, uh the Pfizer vaccine, they enroll, I think. If I remember right, forty thousand people. Yeah, half of them got placebo. Means right. it's not Nothing. a real vaccine. Yeah, half half of them got the real McCoy. Yeah. Then, the way we decide how effective the vaccine is is to compare after few 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 weeks or months, depends on you know whether they are in a place outbreak is common or not. If Majority of the people who got infected were in the placebo group or hardly anybody in, in the vaccine group. Then you demonstrate 
the effectiveness or the efficacy. And that's exactly what happened to the two vaccines right now already submitted to FDA yeah. for review because they found 90% in fact the cases were in the placebo group. Only a few cases were in the placebo group. But because it's also a much larger trial, mm -hmm. like the 40,000 people, yeah. half of them gets the vaccine so they can also monitor more adverse events. Right. And so that's, a, we call it expand the safety trial. Right. So, so that is highly dependent on another luck you need, but this is not <laughs> a good luck. This is a bad luck. If, if you are lucky, the places you're testing your vaccine, there's a lot of COVID outbreaks. Yeah. A lot of people, then the trial can be done very quickly. Right. But if you happen to go to places, for example, globally, actually, China was the the first group. Of, there's four companies in China already fit, finished phase two in June. None wow. of the U, U.S. company finished of them in August or September. Yeah. So China was three months ahead of everybody. But guess what happened? By March, by late March, China has totally contained, right. controlled the pandemic there. So they cannot test their vaccine to see how good it is because if nobody can get sick from that. Yeah, and I think that was really enlightening too to, to say like vaccine development takes a long time because it takes time to get these cases. These are kind of rare things typically. You know, the fact that you could roll up to any place in Texas and get like seven phase three trials done in a day. <laughs> exactly. You know, that's not a good you thing, can, you, but... <laughs> you go to, you, if you go to North Dakota right now, you can finish a phase three trial in three days. <laughs> you know? So, so, I mean... Yeah. But, but so, so again, that's a, a matter of... You know, that's also uh, determined the the the, the t time, how much time we take yeah. to get the trial done. So, uh, UK and US, Brazil all had a lot of cases. That's part of the reason we now have enough data for several of the the leading candidates to be submitting. I mean, as everybody heard, um, as of this morning or last night. United Kingdom's already approved right. uh, the, the messenger RNA uh, vaccine uh, from Pfizer. Right. And uh, so, 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 so they are the first Western country, you know, ha has a, sort of properly evaluated, safe and effective yeah. moving forward. So it the short answer is that I think because we did this in parallel, because there's a lot of cases for us to to do the phase three quickly, that those are all the reasons why we were able to crunch this out in a incredible speed. Right. But but there's no real corners being cut. Yeah. People should feel reasonably safe and confident about. At least I, I would take the vaccine a heartbeat if it's oh, yeah. offered to me right now. Yeah. And so like I want to unpack a couple more things about the phase one, two, three thing. So the phase one, that's the, you know, that kind of the pre-stuff. So really it's phase two, phase three, because a lot of folks, you know, I, I said, tell me questions you want to ask. So people are like, I heard they skipped phase two, right? Um, I, I heard that they, you know, did this, did that. So phase two, you're saying has about 150 people. Now, how does coronavirus trials compare to other vaccine trials? Is it about the same? Is it oh, yeah. about the same amount of time? Phase one and phase two is very standardized. Yeah. I, for most of the vaccine trials, 
those are all very comparable be, because those are the ones you monitor people closely. Yeah. You, you measure them daily. You, I mean, I mean, phase two, you don't stay, you don't have to stay in the hospital, mm -hmm. but, but you, you are called every day. You have a diary. You have to record, yeah. you know, how many times you sneeze, how many times you, <laughs> you know, you have, you know, <laughs> you went to bathroom and yeah, you, yeah. You, literally, you know, you, 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 you are monitored as closely as, as possible. You have your temperature, your headaches, whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, so, so there's, by, by the way, there, there's two, two, um, uh, gate, two gates to, to, for a vaccine to, to, to be coming up. One is the company itself. Yeah. In theory, you can say, well, there are some unscrupulous company. They might cut corners. They might actually, you know, do a sloppy job. Yeah. Well, if let's say they skip a phase, if they skip a phase, their their file they send to FDA or whatever the regulatory body is in mm -hmm. whichever country, they will not be accepted. Right. They will be laughed out the door. They say, right. "Where's your phase two? They say, "Well, we were too busy. We decided to go to phase three directly." Right. You know, they say no. Yeah. You know, we you this is a non-starter. Yeah. So. The the regulatory body for the, you know like in the United States our FDA they are they are gatekeepers right they have they have very strict rules and guidance there there the one of course the one thing people fear was that because of the election the pressure you know they they might think that some of their you know procedures can be subverted by the White House. Yeah, but but I can tell you those are professionals. Yeah, okay, they they cannot be ordered by somebody, you know, outside the FDA saying you have to prove this file or you have to, you know, they might be pushed to say you have you need to expedite, you know, review this in seven days instead of normally thirty days. Yeah, that I can understand. Yeah, but but in terms of guidelines, procedures, and criteria, yeah, that cannot be. Nobody can subvert that. That that is, you know, something that we we have to believe. Yeah, and I mean, I understand where people are coming from because we've got plenty of examples over time of like corrupt organizations and times that they did lie to us or allowed drugs to go to market that shouldn't have. And and people definitely, there's enough reason to not trust uh, that stuff. But in this instance, I, th you know, one of the things I say is like, we have a very capitalistic country. Uh, there is nobody that, I mean, like if Pfizer put out a vaccine that could hurt somebody, it would sink Pfizer, right? Like, Correct. Correct. <laughs> so, and that's a behemoth that's been around for hundreds of years, right? I mean, they've been around forever. So they, they would never do that themselves. Right. I mean, they, mm -hmm. they, they understand the stake. Yeah. Yeah. So I would go by the money thing. If, if anything, you know, like these companies, companies aren't going to do that. So that's some excellent stuff here, folks. The information, I believe, speaks for itself. I want to just take a second here and state that we have to have an appreciation for what's happening. We've had one of the most studied, vetted, inspected, reviewed, whatever verb you want to use, vaccines in record time. You know, the stars have really aligned. And as Dr. Yip said, we've lucked out all across the board. Plus, we're living in this great time. We have all the smart people. They're all here with us. This is a miracle that this thing was able to come so fast. So let's do a service to those in service of us, those who have made such sacrifices to get us here. 
So commit to get vaccinated. Commit to encourage others in your world to get vaccinated. People in your house, in your circle, in your community. Make your world smaller and make sure everyone's cared for. We owe it to all of these folks who have worked so hard to make the stars align, who have sacrificed so much to make this miracle happen. So that's it for this episode. Tune in next week for the second part of our interview with Dr. Yip. And until next time, keep listening, keep learning, and be well. Be well.